This morning I have a few scriptures to read with you. Uh, One is from the, of course, the New Testament and and also from the the Old Testament. But I'd like to uh, read from Luke Luke chapter 4, if we could turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read it at verse 13. It's the story of uh, Jesus at Nazareth, the synagogue in Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, verse 13, down to uh, verse 22. When the devil had finished all these temptations, he left him until an opportune time. Uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he wept, or he went into the synagogue, as it was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Therefore, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said to them, truly, or today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I just want you to um, note from that passage that we read in verse 19, uh, the year of the Lord's fever. I want you to keep that, keep that in your mind, please, the year of the Lord's fever. From the Old Testament, there's a, an interesting uh, passage of Scripture found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, Leviticus, chapter 25, and I want to read some, some scriptures from that chapter this morning that hopefully will tie in with what we read from Luke. So it's Leviticus chapter 25, and we start to read at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the land. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your unattended fines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself and your manservant, maidservant, and the hired worker, the temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Then in verse 8, Count off 
seven sevenths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then how the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land, consecrate the 50th year, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family, property, and, to, and each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap. What grows of itself or harvest the unattended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In the year of jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. If you sell land to one of your countrymen or buy from any other or from any from him, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own countrymen on the basis of the number of years since the jubilee. And he is to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price. Because what, is, what he really is selling you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. And then in verse, uh, right at the end of the chapter, the last verse in the chapter, verse 55, it says, For Israelites belong to me as servants. This is God speaking. They are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Now, there's a lot in that chapter. We're not going to look at everything in it, but I just want to uh, draw your attention to a few things that will come to us this morning. What I'd like to uh, say to you this morning, and what's on my heart to say, is I want to talk to you about the, the fever of God or the year of the Lord's fever. And I think that's important for us to bear in mind that, that God is a God who, who shows fever, a God who is kind, a God who shows us the kindness of his heart. And one of the things that comes to us here from this wonderful uh, chapter is that God is, is intimately involved with his people and with creation. He's not a God who is far off and removed. He's actually near, and he's involved in our lives and in the world in a greater way than we can understand at times. I want to um, say to you just this morning that when, when God looks at you uh, and when he looks at me, what does he see? What does he see? Does he, does he see us as worthless, useless human beings that only deserve um, his judgment, his wrath? This morning, when, when God looks at you and God looks at me, in, in Christ, in, in Jesus this morning, God actually smiles upon us. The smile of God's presence and his his face 
shines upon you and I. Now, we may not always be aware of that. We may not always understand that. We might say, well, how can God do that? God loves you, and he loves you in such a way that you're his by the right of creation. So when he created all things, and when he created human beings, you're, you're his. You're his creature. You're made in his image, and he loves you. You're also his if you've come to Christ, if you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're his by the right of redemption. That is, by the right of the cross when Jesus paid the price for our sins and set us free from the slave market of sin and brought us into the liberty and the freedom of God. So we're, we're loved because we were created by God, but we're also loved because he has redeemed us through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, when you get up in the morning um, and you, you, have a, you go and have a look in the mirror, and I don't know what you, what, what you see, you say, what is, that, what is that looking back at me? You might say, well, you know, I look like something out of Jurassic Park or, you know, something like that. I want to tell you this, that no matter what way we view ourselves, because none of us are getting any younger, that's for sure. I mean, I'm older the last time uh, than I was here. That's a bit of an Irish statement, but you'll know what I mean. We're not getting any younger. But you know this? When God looks at his children and God looks at his people, he actually smiles upon them. And so... There's the favor of God that, that extends out to us from God himself. And uh, I want to share something of this with you this morning because, you see, this is what, what Jesus is all, all about. He has come so that he might bring to us the year of the Lord's favor. And I want you to keep that in mind because, believe it or not, there is a link between Luke chapter 4 and Leviticus 25 that we've read this morning. There is a a wonderful link in the scriptures. See, the Old Testament links in with the new and the new fulfills the old. And there's this wonderful harmony and unity of, of truth that comes progressively from the Old Testament right into the New Testament fulfilled in Jesus himself. So in the gospel, Jesus is one who had passed through a period of testing, as it were, in the wilderness. Forty days and forty nights, he was tempted by the devil. And, and Jesus demonstrates the character and the quality of his sonship. In other words, he's truly the son of God. Now, Israel were known or called to be God's son. But Israel failed, failed miserably in the 40 years they spent in the wilderness. As Moses led them, they rebelled against God and they sinned against God. But here's Jesus, the perfect man, the, the true human, truly God, yet truly human, who steps into our world and in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, he goes through this 40 days, which is sort of equivalent or like Israel in the wilderness, 
And here he demonstrates that he is truly the Son of God. It's not that he became the Son of God. He, he was the eternal Son of the eternal God. But what I'm saying here is that when he has finished that period of testing, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fame or the news of Jesus spread about the whole region and many came to listen to his teaching and hear his, his word. Now in the synagogue at Nazareth, the town where he was brought up, on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, he goes into the synagogue and as it was his custom, this is what he, he did. He attended synagogue. So it's a good custom to attend church. I'm not saying that we're a synagogue, but we, we are a congregation of the Lord. We're a congregation of God's people. This was the congregation of the Lord in Jesus' day. And so it was the custom of Jesus to go to the synagogue. It's our custom to go to be in church together as the congregation of God's people. And while he was there, isn't it interesting that he was given or he stood up to read. And no one said to Jesus, well, what are you doing, Jesus, or who are you? He was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And from Isaiah 61, he begins to read to the people the word of God. This is what he says. First of all, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Adonai, the spirit of Yahweh is upon me. Therefore, he has anointed me. That is, I have been set apart. I have been destined to preach good news. And so Jesus is about bringing good news to the people. He's about bringing the favor of God, the kindness of God. This good news was, first of all, to be preached to the poor, the marginalized of society, the outcasts, those who were on the edge. Jesus brought those kind of people and all people the good news that God has shown favor to humanity. This is what Jesus says. He has sent me, this is the divine mission, to proclaim, to herald out, to announce as a herald would do the coming of a king, freedom and liberty for the prisoners. So this good news, this favor that Jesus brings and announces is all about freedom and deliverance. It's about being set free to live and serve God. Then he talks about the recovery of the sight to the blind. Those are who were physically blind and spiritually blind, began to see in Jesus and through his ministry who God truly was because Jesus represented and manifested and radiated God for who he was because Jesus was no less than God amongst us. And more than that, I want you to come with me to verse 19, and this is the point we want to get to, to proclaim to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is not a literal year. This is a time of God's favor. This is a time 
of blessing. This is a time of grace. This is a time of God's loving kindness to humanity has now been announced and proclaimed by the coming of Messiah Jesus. And if we were to go to the scripture that Jesus read from in the scroll of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, what follows the year of the Lord's favor? And the day of vengeance of our God. If you you read Isaiah 61, you will find that the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stopped in his reading of Isaiah at that point. Why? Simply because his mission at that point in time was to come not to bring the vengeance of God or the judgment of God or the wrath of God into the world by his presence. He came to proclaim and announce the day or the year of the Lord's favor. And that's a wonderful truth that's given to us this morning because God demonstrated at the beginning of of Jesus' public ministry that what he was all about was the truth of setting, setting captives free. Now what you've, you've listened to so far is a little bit of a parallel between uh, the Exodus story and the ministry of Jesus. And so what I'm saying this morning is that, that Jesus is one who has come to proclaim a new exodus. As Moses was the leader and the mediator of the exodus event when God set Israel free from Egypt, Jesus comes to bring a new exodus. And Isaiah speaks about that in Isaiah chapter 40 onwards. He talks about the the way, the way in the wilderness, the road, the way out, God bringing back Israel from captivity, bringing them back into relationship with himself after the captivity of Babylon. But this was totally fulfilled and ultimately fulfilled in Jesus himself when he came to proclaim a new exodus that was greater and more extensive than the exodus under Moses. So this is about the time of of God's favor, the time of setting people free, setting captives free, bringing liberty and life uh, to humanity. I want you to notice with me that in the book of Leviticus, we have this interesting passage. And let me summarize it for you like this. Israel was an agricultural society. It functioned on the basis of um, the land yielding forth its, its, its fruit and its crops. It wasn't an industrious society. It didn't have that kind of production and machinery and all that we have. I mean, we still rely on the land, but in this sense, if you were in ancient Israel, there was no social security. There was no center link. 
In other words, you wouldn't be able to eat uh, shackles of gold or silver. The land had to produce for you to survive. And so God says, for six years, sow the land. And on the seventh year, don't sow anything. Just let it rest. And every seventh year, that would be a Sabbath. Now, you remember in the creation story, um, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, God rests. So the Sabbath wasn't something that was an institution by, by men. It was instituted by God. And it was to demonstrate that the Lord was the Lord of creation. And so the land itself, the promised land, the land of Israel, after uh, Israel had been delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea, and after they'd entered Canaan, they were to sow for six years and then stop. And on the seventh year, no agricultural work was to be done. And the land was to yield fruit. And the crops were to yield what grew in the field or what grew on the vine. That's what you were to eat. You weren't to harvest it. You were just to eat it. And there was enough provided for um, everyone to survive and live upon. I want you to also notice that God said to Israel, count seven times Seven. Forty-nine years. And on the 50th year, you were to take a ram's horn, a shofar, ram's horn, and on the 50th year, on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, This ram's horn was sounded throughout the land. And that was a wonderful experience because on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, what happened? Well, if you had sold a a property that was yours and you had sold it to survive or so that you could have an income or whatever you needed, then that property was to come back to you. Or or if you had sold yourself into slavery, you sold yourself to another Israelite, and you say, well, look, I I need uh, to work for you because I can't support myself any longer. I have no income. Then on the 50th year, you were to be liberated and set free. And so this was the way it worked that all the debt and all the property that belonged to your clan or to your people came back to you. And everyone that had sold themselves into the service of another Israelite was to be not treated as a slave, but to be treated as a hired worker. But they were then to be set free. Their obligation finished, and they were to go back to their own property and their own clan. So the year of Jubilee would have been a wonderful year. And I could imagine... People in this situation, on year 47, saying, we've only got three more years to go, and the year of jubilee will sound throughout the land, 
and my property will be given back to me. I'll become no longer a hired servant. I'll be set free from my obligation. My debt will be canceled out, and I will experience the favor and the goodness of God. And it's interesting that that this announcement, this proclamation of Jubilee, sounded out on the Day of Atonement. And you say, well, what does that mean, David? Simply this, that the Day of Atonement in Israel was the day that the sins of the people of Israel for that year were atoned for by the high priest when he entered into the holy place, entered into the tabernacle. And he took the blood from the sacrificial altar in the court of the tabernacle, and he entered through the gate and then through the veil into the holy place where the, the, tab- the golden table was and the golden altar of incense was. And he entered right through the field into the second veil into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and the cherubim with their wings in gold stretched out over the Ark. And the priest went in, the high priest went in with blood and with a censer filled with fragrance. And he sprinkled blood upon the mercy seat seven times and once before it. And what happened on that great day of atonement was this. That because of the sacrifice of the altar, the high priest represented Israel and represented them as he ministered in the presence of God and said to God by the blood of the sacrifice, God, pass over their sins because there has been a sacrifice slain upon the altar. And all of this was typical of what was yet to come. All of this was typical of Jesus in his mercy and in his grace who would come as our great high priest and our sacrifice who would go by the cross into the very presence of God, bearing the marks of his suffering and his death, whereupon his own body he bore our sins. And when God looked at him, our great high priest, Jesus himself, God can forgive our sins because Jesus is is our sacrifice. He took our place. But every 50 years on the day of atonement, on the day of redemption, this shofar, this ram's horn was sounded out and everyone that heard it knew that their debt and their obligations had been cancelled out and what they had lost had been brought back, their property restored. I think that's a wonderful experience. Could you imagine, your, could you imagine the 49th year uh, you would be saying to yourself, the following year, all this is gone. I, I'm free. I, I'm liberated. And so what all of this is about, the year of Jubilee, linked with the Day of Atonement every 50 years, is all about God in his mercy bringing restoration and bringing liberty back to his people. You see, what I want you to notice here, that this is about relationship with God. It's not so much about things here. What God wants to do is demonstrate that really the land that you live on Israel is not yours, it's mine. You're just tenants on it. You just live on it. And so everyone that holds 
the property of another, and everyone that holds the slavery and the service of another has to let it go because you and all that you have belong to me. That's what God is saying here. And I want to say to you that this is, this is our position today. People in the world think that they own the land. People think that they own and have all of this. And really, all of it is God's. And so we want to be brought to a place where we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, but also the goodness of God. And that God is a God who wants to bring by his presence liberty and restoration to us. So the first thing that we we look at here is that the 49 years and on the 50th year, the seven sevens, the Sabbath, there was this idea of peace and rest restored to the people of God. And when we talk about rest here, this is not just a kind of cessation of doing things. This is God bringing back wholeness and wellness and healing to his people. And that's what God's about today. He's about bringing to you wellness and wholeness and healing to you as his people. He wants to bring you into that relationship with himself that is wholesome and full of goodness. I'm not saying that being in the world or being uh, in the current situation that we face day by day is easy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying here is that in the presence of God and in relationship with God, there's a wellness and there's a wholeness, a psychological and emotional wellness that comes to us when we're in fellowship with God. Most of the dysfunction in the world, whether it's psychological or 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 emotional, all stems from sin because we're out of relationship and out of fellowship with the God who brings wellness and peace and shalom to us, not only in our homes, but in our communities and in our nation. And this idea of the Jubilee is the restoration of the people, bringing them back to enjoy what God has given to them through the right of redemption. Now, let me put it like this. If you, when you came to Jesus... And when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God brought to you the liberty and the freedom of the new exodus that Jesus won for us at the cross. But you know, problems that beset us as as the people of God are simply this, that there are many times that we have come, that when we have come to Jesus and when we have entered into his experience of life and forgiveness, that what we do we, we sell ourselves into a kind of a slavery. We, we give away what's ours. It ends up that there are areas in our life that are not free. We're oppressed and contained and tied down. And we ought to be walking in, in the freedom and we ought to be walking in the liberty of what the cross and the resurrection is all about. But there are sometimes just these areas that we encounter or these areas in our own experience that bring us under a kind of bondage and slavery. And what Jesus is doing here, he's saying that I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And what I want to say to you, church, is simply this, that Jesus Christ brings to us 
this freedom so that when we sell ourselves into slavery and when we sin and when we enter into sin, we become enslaved to sin. What Jesus says, I come to bring restoration. I come to bring you freedom. I come to bring freedom and liberty to your relationships. I come to bring freedom and liberty to your life, to your home, to your family, to you. And this is what the year of Jubilee is all about. It's about the restoration and a coming back into the fellowship of God. I want you to notice that in verse 12, there was something very significant that you need to note here because it says in, in the scripture, for it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. This, this was a matter of faith. Well, how do you, what do you mean by a matter of faith? Simply this. If you sowed for six years, on the sixth year, God had made a promise. He said that on the sixth year, there will be enough from that harvest to last year six, year seven, the year of rest, and year eight, when you have to sow again a new crop. So there would be enough from the sixth right into the ninth year. Now that's a matter of faith. God, God has made a promise here. And what he's saying is that, are you going to take me out my word? So, so faith is, is not just a, a matter of intellectually believing God. Faith is a matter of, yes, I believe God, but I'll act upon what God says, what he tells me to do. And so to sow for, for six years, and then on the sixth year, God said, I will give you a harvest that will be enough for three years. Now, that's faith. And so, when we look at, at the year of Jubilee, if we want to enter into the blessings that Christ has won for us, that Christ so freely wants to give us, he wants to bring us freedom from our sin and from the things that tie us down, the things that bring us into slavery and bondage in our lives, we need to exercise faith in the promise of God that Jesus came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But not only is faith evident here, they were also to remember. The last verse of, of chapter 25 tells us that they were to remember the one who brought them up out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You notice that little formula, I am the Lord your God. That formula, I am the Lord your God, repeats itself over and over in the book of Leviticus. It's there to remind Israel of who they're related to, of what kind of relationship they're in. They're in a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And I want to encourage you this morning that, that God is not abstract or, or God is not far off and removed the God that we love and we serve is the God who is in personal relationship with us. I, it's not, I am the Lord, the God. I'm the Lord, your God. 
And that expresses to us that they were to remember that it was the personal activity and the personal intervention of of God in Egypt when Moses went to Pharaoh and the people were delivered from the slavery of the Egyptian Pharaoh and they were delivered through the Passover lamb and through the opening of the Red Sea. That was the personal activity and intervention of God into their lives. And so it is with us that we are to remember that the God that we love and serve is a personal God. And all, some of us or all of us may, may have stories that we can rehearse from our life and we can look back and we can say, yes, God intervened there. Yes, my God, the God whom I serve, stepped into that situation and I saw God's hand. I saw God's deliverance. I saw God's work to bring about blessing and to bring good. And, and when we remember those things, it causes us to give thanks. We are to remember the greatest event that took place on our behalf. We are to remember the cross. We are to remember that Jesus came as the one who set out on the road to Jerusalem in Luke and ended up upon a cross at Calvary. And there my sins and your sins were laid on him and he died for us. And I I am to remember that, not just repeat it, but remember it in the sense that it's a covenant that Jesus has brought me into. I am in fellowship and in union with God through what Christ has done. I am to remember the favor of God ultimately at the cross when Christ died for me and rose again. And that favor is demonstrated over and over again in our lives. And when we fall into the bondage of sin or we sell ourselves short to something else that displaces God, In some area or other of our lives. I want you to remember. It is the Lord your God. Who has come to bring life and freedom. And set the captives free. And the year of Jubilee reminds us. That we are to go back to the one who delivers. That we are to go back continually come to the one who delivers. So that we might walk in the freedom of Christ. And in the freedom of what it means to be a Christian. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying this, that Jesus has come to proclaim the good news, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the release of the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. We want to take God at his word here Because this is about the presence of God and the power of God to fulfill his promises. And when you look at the Gospel of Luke, the year of the Lord's favor is is demonstrated for us so wonderfully. In the second book of Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 2, the Apostle Paul Uh, makes this wonderful statement. He talks about this, this deliverance, this acceptance that we have in Christ. And this is what he says. 
At a time of my favor, I heard you. This is what he's quoting. He's quoting the scripture here. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul here is urging his readers to consider the grace of God. He says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, at the time of my favor, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, this is, the, this is the day or the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And church, what Paul is saying to us is this. That God in his loving kindness has blessed us abundantly. And he's encouraging us to walk in that blessing. And to experience the liberating presence of God. Now let me put it like this. Let me put it very, very straight and very, very simply. And this is not an accusation or condemnation. There may be some sin in your life or my life. There may be some area of weakness. We may have a problem with our temper. We may have a problem with selfishness. We may have a problem with all of these things that bring us into oppression and bondage. I want to tell you again, Jesus came to set captives free. Ultimately, we're free through the cross. And what we want to do as Christians is to walk in that freedom or that favor of the cross so that it reaches every part of our lives. And so what we need to do as the people of God is to come in this year of jubilee, this season, this time of God's grace, we need to come back to the one who liberates. We need to come back to the one who sets free. We need to come back to Jesus, the deliverer, and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to bring your freedom into every area of my life and set me free for what? To live onto ourselves? No. Set free to live onto God in the service of God. That's what it's all about. And this year of Jubilee was just a little reenactment of the great Exodus event when God through Moses set Israel free from Pharaoh. We have the tendency as people, because of our fallen nature, we have the tendency of bringing ourselves into situations and into sin that oppresses us and enslaves us. I want to tell you the good news this morning is we need to come back to Jesus. We need to come back to the cross. We need to confess our sin, confess our brokenness, confess our failure, and say, Jesus, set me free. Bring me your liberty. Bring me your freedom.
and bring me your life so that I might walk in all the service of God. May God bless this word to our hearts this morning and may God bless you and may God encourage you and strengthen you and fill you with his presence and his freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen.